I'm, I'm so good. You just, you just <laughs> absolutely made my day. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think we've both been just super excited to get this interview going, man. You know, you came last week, the week before you yeah. shot some flicks for, for lookout Santa Cruz, the art article that Wallace Bain wrote on paid the cost podcast and myself. And we started talking and I was just like, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I got to get this guy on, man. So let's just get into it. Yeah. And I want to, you know, I, I obviously you have a you have a story before this, but I want to start at this car accident because it seems to be a focal point and a huge change of of the direction that your life could have gone in. And um, I actually I really relate to it right now. Because my best friend, uh, James McCord, uh, who I grew up here with in Santa Cruz, a couple, about a, 10 days ago, he was hit by a drunk driver. He, he was, uh, he took his dog for a walk. He, he, he grew up in Santa Cruz. Family is deep in Santa Cruz, deep rooted in Santa Cruz. And he took his dog for a walk. They live in Seattle now, excuse me. They, they live in Seattle. He took his dog for a walk and he pulled over to use his phone and a drunk driver smashed into him at 60 miles per hour. I just talked to him yesterday. Uh, and I finally asked him like what the story was the drunk driver smashed into him he was in his car for an hour crushed into his car couldn't move couldn't feel his body and nobody came it for an hour oh my god so i i reread everything that you sent to me yesterday and it just hit home yeah. even harder um uh when i read what you sent me again so uh, I want to talk about that yeah. because I can see for James, James, Jim, uh, and, and how it could effect, affect somebody's life so drastically and dramatically in, in an instant, Yeah, you know, so can you give us the scoop on that? Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, 15 at the time. Uh, it was nine days before my 16th birthday. I was with a couple buddies of mine. Um, they're all over 18 uh, or they're 18 at the time, uh, my buddy Dave and John. And I was spending the night at my, my friend. So I was living, I lived up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I was living up Santa Cruz Mountains at the time. And so I was going to spend the night at my buddy John's house. And uh, we all decided to go out to his friend Dave's house, who lives over in the uh, hills up in, uh, in Las Gatas. And hanging out there. You know, all night. No, no, we weren't drinking or drugs or nothing involved. Um, and we're driving down this road called Hicks Road over, over in the hills in uh, Las Gas. It's a really, really mountain windy road. And uh, driving in a little CRX and one of those old school. Oh, two well, yeah, little and, hatchback? Yeah, things? the hatchbacks. And so I, because I was the youngest, I was in the hatchback. So I was laying down back there while they were in the, in the front seat. And we're going down Hicks Road and... Uh, he was going about 60 miles an hour around these turns that you're supposed to go 20 miles an hour on and started losing control, tried to correct himself, overcorrected, smashed into a tree. The car flipped off a ravine. I think it was about 10 feet down, flipped over a whole bunch of times, landed upside down. They got out of the car. They couldn't find me. Um, oh and then they God. finally were looking around and they, uh, they saw me face down in a creek, um, and this was, I think, about one or two in the morning. Um, so they 
uh, ran up the and, and what where Hicks Road is, it's a very isolated mountain road. Like there's nobody, you know. It's it's you know, and there's no cell phones no, at this time no, either. No, no we're, we're not in that that age no or phones, any of no. that stuff. So and being in the cuts like that, it's like it's so remote. Yeah, and there's there's you're the, alone. Yeah, and there's there's not very many houses up there. Right, and so they were running down the street, and luckily. About a half mile away, there was a cop pulled over and, and said, like, and this is like two in the morning, middle of this random road. And um, they, they flagged him. He went down there, called paramedics. They got me out of there, uh, went to San Jose Trauma Center. And I uh, fractured my skull, punctured my lung, bruised my kidney, got knocked into the coma for four days, uh, life support system, you know flip of a coin if I was going to live or die. And they said if I was going to live, I'd probably have permanent brain damage. Um, what had happened was that when the car had hit the tree, they're thinking that that had knocked me unconscious. And so as it flipped out, I flew out the back and, you know, limply fell out and got thrown into the, uh, the Creek. And, um, yeah, so I scarred up here and all down here, like the whole right side, uh, you know, scarred up pretty good. Um, and so, the yeah, I had to learn how to walk again, and um, you know, my coordination was all screwed up, and um, my memory was completely shot for god about a year, year and a half. It was, it was, uh, I missed the first three, four months of school. Um, it was, it was crazy, and um, it was just a really, really, really tough time, obviously, but. Ironically enough, the first day that I have any, so I don't have any, I, I remember getting into the car and I remember leaving and that was it. I don't remember anything else. Is this, is this now? Is no, this, this current this, memory? Yeah, this, or this, my, it... my current memory, even then, even okay. then, I, I don't, I didn't, all I remember is getting into the car and the next thing I knew was ironically enough was on my birthday on August 30th. So it happened on August 21st was August 30th, nine days later. And I remember not knowing where I was, why I was there or what had happened to me, but just being so overcome with joy to be alive. And I honestly had no idea what was going on. And I just remember being so emotional and, um, and, all, it, it, and, and what, what emotions were you feeling? Was it, it, it was like an euphoria in, in a way, like exactly people would, word I was use. people would come in to see me and I would just break down, start crying and tell them how much I love them. And I'd never been that way before. Um, and you know, I would just like, just start, you know, go, Oh my God, you know, I love you so much. And, and, you know, thank you for coming. And, and I just felt so. Um, one of those things where I'm just looking around and I'm like, I just felt so much love and gratitude. And it, it, I could, I, I never, it, it was just a really looking back and putting myself in that, at that frame of mind at that time. It was, it was, um, bizarre to, you know, to, to think about those feelings, but it's, those like, are, it those are, intense. those are big, big, intense feelings yeah. for a 15 year old to have. Yeah. Uh, would you, would you be better suited to explain those feelings now that you're a grown up and, and, you know, uh, 
can you explain those feelings better now or or were they more of a, a feeling then and you didn't really know what was going it on? It was or just being where the gratitude for being alive was or well even then I I I sensed that gratitude for being alive and I sensed how much people meant to me. Mm. Um and how much when people came to see me in the hospital that um how much love I have for them and how much gratitude I have, I had and, and still have to have them in my life. Um, and even to this day, I have a, um, a box full of all the letters that people wrote because like, even when I was still in the coma, my mom, my mom, my parents would put out notebooks so that people could write, you know, notes to me, not knowing if I was going to live or die, not, not knowing if they're ever going to see me again. And so when I go back and read these, man, it's waterworks. I'm just, I can't stop crying. So um, it's not that often I'm able to actually look at those letters. Um, well, and, and and what's really motion? What real words are written on those papers? I mean, I, it just waterworks. Just seems like an instant. I mean, just touching the book, I could yeah. I could sense that kind of power coming out of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's it it's weird. So it's kind of like taking yourself out of your own body and looking at it from somewhere else. Because I was in, in such a weird state that I put myself in the shoes like if I was my parents or if I was a friend of mine. Because when you're in it and you're going through it, you know, you're doing the best you can and you're doing one step at a time, but you don't really think about what you've actually been through because, you know, you have no memory of what you actually been through and all that trauma. Um, and so it's kind of like an out of body experience when you're reading this stuff of you're reading it through the eyes of a friend mm. of, of seeing their, their buddy, you know, in the, in a coma, not knowing if they're going to live or die. And it's like, it's, it's, it's deep. Um, and there, you know, that, it was one of those things that made me realize how important people are that are in my life mm -hmm. and how much that um, I want to show how much they that I love them and how much that they mean to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, uh, an, what an interesting concept for a 15 year old, right? <laughs> because I, you know, I've said this many times, but you know, with, with the addiction that I had with, in, with methamphetamine for, for, a, you know, it, it had been in my life for a long time, but the, the deep stretch was from 99 to 2004. Right. And, um, you know, when I came home to Santa Cruz in 2004, to protect myself, I kind of went into this cave and I kind of disconnected from people um, generally, mm -hmm. not just friends, not just family, just people in general. And this podcast is like put me into this whole new realm where I'm creating this new relationship with humanity. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like because you had such a traumatic situation happen that you had this epiphany and this, this ultra sensitive connection to, to human beings that I'm just coming back into now. So what has it been like, you know, from that stage till now, like what is your outlook on humanity and other human beings and our society and, and how important those connections are to have with people? Well, 
It, <laughs> that's why what I do right now as a photojournalist, it is the best job in the world for me. And I love it every single day because it allows me. So the one thing that I learned is that every single person that you see me on the street has their own story. Yes. And I know that you get yes, this sir. because this is what you do in your podcast. Yeah. They all have the story, but they can literally every single person can change your life. Everyone's story that if you take the second to talk to them and get to know them, they can tell something that can literally change your life and can mm. and every person can can create the world and you know destroy the world. Every single person has that potential. And it's meeting someone. It could be a stranger in the grocery store right next to you. And that you could just start talking to them. And they everyone, just the stories that every single person has is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it's – and I realized that from, you know, for after, you know, my car accident, dealing with what I had to deal with. And that as, as a photojournalist – I have the unbelievable job of all day, every day, just getting to meet people in every facet of life all over the county, getting to know them, creating a rapport with them, having them feel comfortable with me, and then I just start shooting them uh, with my camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, let, 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 you know I want to hone down on yeah. something real quick, hunker down on something. You know, I, I've been talking about and I've been really getting this this idea of time, right? Mm. So living in the past, you know, mentally or living in the present mentally or living in the future mentally, right? Living in the past can lead to depression. Living in the future can lead to anxiety. But living in the present is it, it's so hard, right? On a day-to-day -day basis because, you know, you're thinking about your buddy that got hit by a DUI driver, you know, a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about, uh, you know, oh, how am I going to pay the mortgage at the, at the beginning of the month? Because, you know, a couple things have happened this month and I'm kind of scrambling, right? But what you do is you're actually capturing the present moment every time you shoot that camera mm -hmm. at somebody. And what a gift that is. Does, does that... Does that in any way, shape, or form keep you in the present moment on a regular basis? What's funny about that is that um, my poor wife, I love her so much, but um, yeah, we'll all go, our poor wives. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go, we'll go someplace, and I'll have my camera with me, and I'll just start shooting. And she's like, you know, Kevin, put that down. Just be in the present. And the reality of it is, I'm, I'm, I will never be more in the present moment ever. Than I am when I have my camera, because I am living in the hyper focus of what is going on at that second, at that instant that the light hits somebody. Like it, it literally is that I'm so focused on what's going on right now at that exact moment. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about the past. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what is going on right now. And so when I'm looking through the viewfinder, it literally is complete you know, razor sharp focus on what is going on in right now. So, so you are aware of that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. Every yeah. single time. And that's why 
because you know my my background i was in video and film and tv we're, we're, for gonna, a long we're, time. we're definitely yeah. gonna get to all of that and so but and, and so i always had the background there but i've always had you know before that was in photo but for me photos more than any other medium captures that instant that moment in history more than anything else you look at you know like that, you know, the photo of Muhammad Ali over, you know, Sam Liston. It's like that you were capturing that one second. It's never and that, gonna happen yeah, again. Yeah. And like all photos will do that more than any other medium. And it's a gift for me to capture that moment with people and with events and with what's going on. And it it's it's you know it's just a feeling that you get. It's like it just it's amazing. It's the best feeling ever. That's beautiful. So let's build up to how you got to where you're at right now. So uh, you have this traumatic accident. You're going through life. You have a new outlook on it. You're you're hyper aware of of humanity and and situations and relationships and. You're, you're hyper-focused, right? So you, you I, I'm sure it was a long road to get yourself better and out of the bed and, you know, get stable in, in your health and whatnot. Um, but can we fast forward a little yeah. bit to what happened after, what was the aftermath of, of the accident and how, what, what did you start getting into and, and what, what was the, how did it push you to where you're at now? Because it sounds like, after we get into the thick of it, you'll under, you get an understanding of why you're into what you're into now and how that accident pushed you into it. Yeah. Um, during the time I was, I was a skateboarder. Um, that was all I ever did was skate, you know, from the moment I got up till the moment I went to bed. And during that time, uh, there's this guy, Josh Curry, who's an unbelievable photographer. I saw his stuff and I was just addicted to it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And so then, um, that's what led me into doing photography. I started shooting a little bit and then my car accident happened and then, um, getting, then I wanted to shoot photos. The only thing I knew at school was the yearbook, but because I missed so much school, the yearbook photographer was taken. Um, that spot was taken. So he said, they said that, um, but they, the school paper needs a photographer. So I jumped on board that. Then I went to Las Gatas High School at the time. And, and, and how much diverse was that? That was probably the best thing that could have happened oh, to yeah, you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Completely because you're shooting life. every different story yeah. and you're coming at all these different angles where the yearbook, you probably would yeah, have been more focused yeah. on. One yeah, exactly. I mean, it was literally like one of those things. I'm like, that completely changed the yep. direction of my life. Yep. And so um, I went to, I started taking photos uh, for high school paper and it like hit me. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is all I want to do for the rest of my life. It was like, I want to be like a war photographer. I wanted to be in the action. What's like, it just, it was the moment I started shooting events and getting to know people and it kind of just opened the door of me for a viewing life mm -hmm. and i just i was like this is all i want to do the rest of my life and so i started you know i did that you know from through high school then became the photo editor uh, for high school paper then in college and i was a photographer and also the photo editor for that college then, so i i don't want to date yeah, you yeah, too yeah, much yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but but you probably didn't start on digital cameras. No, or anything, right? God, no. You're I so, was all. I was all. Yeah. I, so, I was, so you've got to see like the evolution of technology yeah. in this industry as well. I mean, were, yeah, yeah. were you doing darkroom stuff? Oh and, yeah. God. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it was fun, and because yeah. So it, this was. I'm uh, 48. Going to be 49. A couple weeks on August 30th coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I was doing all darkroom, doing you know developing my own photos and and uh when i was in college i went to a jc at danza and i lived across the street from danza and I, and as a photo editor i had 20 uh 24 7 access to the uh to our photo room so i would go in there like seven o'clock on like a saturday night and i wouldn't come out until like <laughs> 9 a.m the next morning yeah, yeah. you I, it's just a total time second it's you have no idea how long you're in there and you start working and you just have no concept that there's an outside world going on because you're in this complete dark room and you're just addicted and you're just like obsessed with, you know, trying to get the right exposure. The process. Just, yeah, the process. And, and it's just it's just so much fun. And so when we were doing our weekly um, at the at the papers, every it would come out, I think it would come out Wednesday. So every Tuesday we would be, the entire uh, news group, we'd be together you know, usually till like one, two, three in the morning on Tuesday night. And it was always fun because, you know, there's a little group of us or like eight or nine of us together all, you know, hammering down the coffee and snacks and just working all night long to get this paper out and then uh, get to the press and put it out. Dang, it was so, just fun. So it it's just like fun. it's like a real newspaper, like yeah, yeah, in yeah. the nitty gritty. Yeah. And you guys no, are all it was collectively it was just, getting it, it was out a blast. together. That's yeah, so it was cool. So cool. But it, it, it just having the access to the dark room and then just unlimited rolls of film at that time that I can, you know, basically we had boxes of film and I just shoot whatever I want to do. And it was just so much fun. And in dark dark room was just so cool. Then when digital came out, I it you know, the first digital cameras pretty much sucked. And so I stopped doing photography seriously. Like, you know, I started, I switched to a TV and film. I started uh, doing, had my own TV show for a while and started directing and producing for um, film. And um, so my, everything kind of changed direction towards that way. In college. In college. Yeah. Because just digital, I wasn't sold on it, didn't have the right look as film, and film was so expensive. I didn't have access to a darkroom anymore, and it was kind of like, eh. Um, and so I, I kind of switched gears to uh, uh, to video. and um, But I was still shooting a bit. I was still shooting for a couple of magazines and, and such, but um, I don't think I ever stopped shooting ever um photos by my main direction was on video and 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 tv at the time and do you think the main drive to that was because of the quality of it because you're 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 so quality driven yeah it was uh because i I no longer i didn't have access to the darkroom right and you know just getting your stuff developed at a photo drive up was just just not the same right you didn't have the same contextual feel and be able to manipulate, you know, the, the exposure and the contrast and, and so stuff. And so, cool, so <laughs> it, it, it just wasn't the same. Um, it wasn't for me, every photo is, is art. You know, you're only not only capturing moment, but you can, you can, it's, it's a, you know, it's a work of art. 
Yeah. And I, I love that about it. Um, and so, you know, at this period when it started going from um, film to digital, you didn't really have that ability. You could do it in Photoshop, but I didn't even have a scanner much at that time. It was just kind of a weird time where it was, you're trying to feel out technology. Right, right, and right. And quality was just not the same. Right. Um, so, so. so tell us about getting into college and the transition to this TV show. And what was that about? And how did you get into it? Were you, were you like a producer, a creator? Or were you were you uh, an actor? Or? No. So what happened was that um, my best friends, uh, we all lived together um, in a little apartment, uh, John and Chad. And they had um, a production company called Ludicrous Productions. And that they had started in high school. And I got the first uh, nonlinear editing system. It was Media 100 at the time. And so I was able to um, shoot video and digitize and edit it on my Mac. Um, and I just loved uh, – before that, I started, started getting computer animation and then and DV and editing DV. And so – they would shoot all this this footage. Uh, we were doing an inline skate video at the time called Kinetic Overdrive. And we won a whole bunch of awards for that thing. And so I would, um, they would give me stuff. I did like, you know, four or five segments that I would digitize and I'd edit to to music. And and it was just super fun. And I was like. Inline seeing, skating is rollerblading? Yeah, is roller, that rollerblading, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was back in ninety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was cracking. Yeah, then, yeah man. absolutely. Yeah. 92, 93. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Um, and so I, I started uh, just kind of really digging technology and uh, really love editing. Um, at that time, uh, we're doing this commercial for um, the same shop that we had um, done the video Kinetic Overdrive for. They were doing a, a, a commercial. So uh, this guy, Web Fingers, he was a DJ for Live 105 at the time. He came in to do the voiceover and um, he's cracking me up. He's a really funny guy. And so we exchanged numbers. And fast forwarding about a year later, I was driving to um, my studio that I was, you know, doing edit stuff with, um, my production studio in Burlingame. And I heard him on Live 105 at like one in the morning. And so I called up Live 105 and we were talking and and he just – <laughs> On air? This, yeah, on air. Yeah. No, no, I, I, it wasn't on air. But he he was – that was his first night rehearsing or trying out to be a DJ. Because he had been doing the surf report for Live 105 and he was doing an overnight as like an audition for him to be a DJ, which he ended up getting and it was ended up being like their, their, their drive time – uh, DJ for like seven or eight years until he got went to K Rock, but anyways, um, so at that time he was telling me about this show that he was working on, um, called Bam TV, Barry Music TV, and they needed somebody to shoot some concert next week, and if I'd be able to do it worth it with him, and so I started um, being the cameraman for the show that he was working on. We worked on that for about a year. And then the producer for that show ended up dropping out. So I picked up the pieces. I ended up uh, producing and directing the show. And did that Can you for, explain producing? Yeah. When you're producing a show, what exactly are you doing when you're producing a show? <laughs> I, or a movie? Yeah. Is it, does it correlate, uh, producing yeah. a show yeah. in a movie? So producer, and yeah, a lot of people don't, they hear the name producer and they don't know exactly what it is. And producer basically runs everything. They... 
hire the crew. They work with the budget. They work with the scheduling. They, um, they're kind of do the overview of the entire project to make sure all the pieces are working and everything's flowing. So, but it's not, it's not being a director though. No, a producer no, no, no. would hire a director. Is Correct. That, okay. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, so the, so the director is in charge of the vision, what the piece actually looks like. The producer is like logistics is it to make sure that you have the camera or for a film, the, the there's a, the camera department, the lighting department, the, you know, the, they make sure that you have the locations to make sure you have, you know, the budget set, you make sure that you, you have all these different pieces are working. So they're the ones that kind of hire everybody and then make sure that everything's running smoothly. Um, usually for bigger production, you have a line producer, but for me, I was a producer on set, which if we're shooting a, if I'm producing a film, anything, any issue that's going on at any time, I'm just solving problems constantly. Like that's all I'm doing as a producer is that I'm on set and you know, this happens and I gotta, I gotta find answers. And so I'm always just running around Dude, constantly. That sounds like, I mean, man, that sounds like my dream, right? There, <laughs> it's, fun. it's fun. It, it just sounds like so much fun. You know, I, I, um, as you know, I, we, I, I started a new business with my business partner, Jose Moya, mm -hmm. who is the owner of the original Get Faded Barbershop. We opened the Get Faded Company together, which is a uh, more inclusive uh, beauty spot for mm -hmm. men and women. And I, you know, I'm not a barber. I'm not a hairstylist. I don't do nails. I don't do any of that, right? So I, I've been blessed with being, you know, the businessman. You know what I yeah. mean, and I, and I'm 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 orchestrating everything. I'm getting all the numbers together. I'm getting together what we need, and I love it. I know, you know the, the, one of the terrors that has come up with being an entrepreneur is, and and I noticed it with my first business was which was the car audio shop. You know, I had been installing for a long time and I loved installing, mm -hmm. right? There was, you, you'd sell the stuff, you'd install the stuff, and then the customer would pick up their car and usually blown away, so happy, you know? And so there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I noticed when I opened my car audio shop, I was like, fuck, wait a minute. I'm not just installing anymore. I'm answering the phones. I'm, I'm getting a product in. I'm talking to all the reps and, you know, setting all the appointments and getting all the receipts together to give the seat. Just everything comes with it. And all of a sudden, installing isn't that fun. Yeah. You know, and, and it happened with the motel and it, it, it's happened with the podcast. And the truth is, Kevin, is I've almost quit this podcast a few times because I just wanted to be the host a lot of the times. You know, originally I was I wasn't even supposed to be the host of this show. Somebody else was supposed to be, and I was gonna be the background guy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, life happens, whatever. So I, I, you know, I said, look, man, this this train's already full steam ahead. There's no stopping it. So I'll just jump in the in the host seat. But then all of a sudden, you know, I got to figure out how to uh, edit audio. And then all of a sudden we're bringing cameras in and I got to figure out how to edit video. And it's not just podcast hosting anymore. It's not just having a great conversation with somebody anymore. There's all these different aspects. Yeah. And, and it can really turn you off when you've just done this fun hobby or craft for a long time. And all of a sudden all this other stuff comes into play and it can be soul crushing sometimes, yeah, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 
You know, it, one of the things that I've learned is you kind of have to stack your interviews. You know what I mean? So if something happens, you're not so under the gun to get somebody in as quick as possible. Yeah. And maybe somebody you don't even really want to talk to that much. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because that can be lackluster too. Yeah. You know, and, and it really can put a vibe on the show that you don't want to be out there. You know, so you learn a lot of tricks to kind of keep yourself, you know, in good graces and not so pressured. But at the same time, like, I would love to be behind everything. And that's why I'm really excited. You know, we talked about this in the article a little bit is, um, or no, I don't know if we did or not. I don't know if Wallace said anything about this, but I do want to do spinoff podcasts mm -hmm. now. You know what I mean? Where... I, somebody has a great idea, a great concept, and they have a hookup in the community where I know they can keep the show going and fresh, and I can sit behind the cameras, and I can produce and edit the audio and put it out, and, you know, I have a studio to provide for that person, and 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 uh, I'm on the back end of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and I can't tell you, like, how fun that sounds, and not only that, for, for the new shop that we have, my business partner, Jose, you know, he is arguably the best barber in Santa Cruz County. And now he really gets to shine more behind his barber chair because he knows he has somebody over here yeah. taking care of all the BS behind the scenes. And then furthermore, just a little bit selfishness for me is I'm so passionate and, and, you know, I'm a Leo, you know what I mean? I have a lot of these traits and I think I'm really misunderstood at times. Mm -hmm. And, and I talk passionately sometimes. And sometimes people are like, why are you mad? And I'm like, no, 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 no I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Um, but, but numbers don't get upset with me. Yeah, yeah. Numbers aren't emotional and it's easy to be like, nah, motherfucker, you're supposed to be over here and this yeah, one's supposed yeah, to yeah. be over here and there's no feelings hurt. You know, so the producer seat is just, it I was, think that's my dream. And, and, that, and that's the thing is that you're up here. You're not necessarily in the battlefield, but you're up above observing, okay, wait, okay, this needs to go over here. This needs to go, okay, this isn't working here. Let's scrap that and bring this over yes. here. And it's it gives you kind of an overview of it and oh. what's working and what's not working. Yeah, totally. So, so. Is, is that a position that you find more intriguing than actually being behind the camera or it, you know, I, I would. Yeah. So when it comes to, um, well, like when I was doing work on, on features, I either want to be the DP or I want to be the producer because, um, I, I just love, I love shooting and I've always had an eye for composition and lighting. Um, but then I've, oh, I love producing and, you know, the same thing I love, I love, you know, when I was moved to LA, so this is kind of a, a fun little story. When I moved to LA, there was John, Chad and I, um, you know, the guys who own uh, Ludicrous Production. Yeah. yeah Cause I became a partner in that. And so we all moved up to LA together and kicking and screaming because at the time I was living in San Francisco and I was loving the city. I had, <laughs> yeah. I had my, uh, yeah, I just got, you know, nominated for an Emmy award for my TV show and things were great playing hockey. And uh, it was like, things were fantastic. I felt like I ruled the city. I loved it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're living in San Francisco, the worst place in the world is LA. It's like, you don't, it's like, you don't want to. So it was funny. So John and Chad, they wanted, they really wanted to pursue their, because they're, they're more writers and comedy writers. And so, um, they really wanted to go pursue their career in LA. And I didn't, because I'm more of a business mind and I wanted to go and, you know, create content. And so they took me to a very public restaurant. <laughs> so you couldn't flip out in front of me. <laughs> they sat me down. 
Like Kevin. Um, just wanted to tell you. Um, yeah, we 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 want to move to LA. You're like, no. I was so pissed. I was so pissed. I'm like, God damn it! You gotta be kidding me. No, please don't say no, that. No, like, don't no. say that. Seriously, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> so it is about a day later, day and a half later. I was like, God damn it, you guys suck. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right, I'm in. So we all moved down there or up, yeah, down there. Down there, yeah. And um, moved in the valley, in uh, Valley Village down in LA. And I try to get things going, but you know, in LA, you are. You're a grain of sand in an yes. entire beach. So you're not even a small yes. fish in a big ocean. You're less than that. You're yes. you're nothing. And because there's so many industry people, people down there. And I'm like, all right, I, I got to figure out something. So what I did was that I created my own uh, networking group. I called it the Media Network Group, people in film, TV, music, and the internet. And we'd get together every single month. And uh, I'd bring in speakers uh, to, to talk to the group. And uh, it was just a way to create a group of people. They're all supporting each other. And it. Um, by the time I left L.A., we had over 1,000 members. Uh, wow. We had, you know, Academy Award winning, you know, editors and directors. And we even had Jeff Goldblum speak to the group. We had. Uh, Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he spoke to our group once. And so I'd have all these, you know, people from all aspects um, that would speak. Yeah, directors, I had producers, I had writers, I had have um, uh, people in sound design, just different people from the industry that would speak. And, um, you know, it, it, it was every single month we do it. And it, 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 it was cool because suddenly from being nobody, I started to, once again, build kind of like a following and kind of build my name because of this group. And so then it got to the point that, um, yeah, I started producing more and people would call me up to start producing their films and, you know, hire me to produce, uh, produce their films. And it, it was great. So it was fun. I love that, man. I love that you just take, you know, what you can and create something out of nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's all about, you know what I mean? Is is getting up, getting out of bed, and making something out of nothing. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. It, it, there's no better feeling than doing that kind of stuff. In LA, it's too easy just to get depressed and go, ah, the, the sucks, you know. Like, well, well, to your point, right? So, so my dad's, my biological dad's family is from the LA area, mm. and I remember going down there as a kid, and I remember looking. We're driving down some street one day, and I was just like. I'm a Santa Cruz boy, right? And I'm looking around and these streets are huge. There's thousands of people everywhere. And I asked my dad, I said, dad, how do you stand out with all these people in this area? Because there's thousands of people everywhere. Yeah. You know, I always felt like I've always loved the small town. Yeah. I know people, people know me. It just always felt good. It always felt right to mm -hmm. me. You know, I never really felt like, oh, everybody knows my business and blah, 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 blah. It's a small town, man. You know what I mean? It just is what it is. It was always more, uh, it always threw me off more thinking about living in a place like LA because how do you stand out, you know? And it always seemed like a, 
like a struggle or something. And maybe it would lead you to do things that you wouldn't normally do because you were figuring out a way yeah, to stand yeah, exactly. out. You know what I mean? And what a pain in the ass to be something that you're not out in the world and having to come home every day and look at yourself in the mirror. And I'm not that, but I have to, I'm trying to do something and it's just so uncomfortable, you know? And like you said, it, it, you can get depressed really easily in LA. You oh, know yeah, what I mean? Because absolutely. of that, I mean, how many dreams get crushed every day by people and how many people get that straw that breaks the camel's back and they go back to Idaho or Wyoming or, you know, wh wherever they're from in the Midwest, because LA is just completely decimated. I know. And what's crazy is that you have these like huge A-star actors that haven't had anything in 15 years because, no, you know, it's like, it's just too cutthroat. And, and actually, that's why I ended up leaving LA because I just got so jaded and it's just like, it, it's just so much, they... People in power will say anything to keep you kind of hooked, to lead you on to, you know, just in case something happens and they'll bring you back on. But it was just so much bullshit. And um, it just got demoralizing. And like, I, I get to get, get the hell out of here. And, you yeah. know, because my whole family is up here. Um, so, yeah, I live five doors down from my parents. Right now, right now, yes, uh, which is amazing because I'm really close to my parents and they're they're wonderful and super supportive. Uh, I live about a mile away from my sister and her family. Oh, um, dude, that's her in laws perfect. are all in Santa Cruz and Aptos. So my whole extended family is all right here. So being in the industry that you're in mm -hmm. and and being in such. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess entertainment you're in, right? I, I, would you call it that? Um, well, I yeah. I mean, I, I, so I still do um, video because I have two jobs, and one of them is doing the, the video and film stuff, uh, which is more of the entertainment side of stuff. And then I do the photojournalism. And the photojournalism, I don't know if it's necessarily entertainment I guess, I don't know. It, it, it kind of, of it that might yeah, be, right? it, it's, it, I mean, that's the cool thing about the photojournalism is that you can never get bored because, you know, I literally in one day I could be, you know, doing shots of food next time. Uh, uh, then later on, you know, I'll be shooting a fire to then I'll be talking to a politician to interviewing a unhoused guy. Well, it's de all definitely in entertainment for you. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's all in one, all in one day, I'll do all these different things. And it's like, Seeing people from all over the county in all, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, well, you know, what cool. I was going to say is that I love that you were like, no, I can go home and still do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, where a lot of people, you know, they go to LA because they think that's where they have to go to make it. Yeah. But you can do oh, anything yeah. that you're doing down there, wherever you're at. Well, especially now. Yes. And right now, man, it is with all these dis distribution, yeah, with yep. Netflix and Hulu and like they're... It is the golden age of a media. I mean, there is so much content that is needed. And there's, you don't have to be in LA because LA was typically where, you know, all the movies were made. But now, you know, you can do anything anywhere and then just get distributed. It's, it's totally not needed to be in LA anymore. So it's very easy to create your own thing. But yeah, but even, even, you know, 
you can create your own show and put it out yourself. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like somebody you know. <laughs> right? Well, not only that, we have this kid, Jordan Graham, mm-hmm. that that grew up in Santa Cruz, and he put out a, a horror movie called Seder, mm-hmm. and it got picked up by Amazon, you know? And, and now it's on Amazon Prime. You know, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. So cool. And, it, you know, Swan Dive Media was part of it, and it they were on the show as well. And it's it, like you said, you can do it anywhere yeah. now. You don't have to be in LA to get picked up by Amazon Prime or Hulu or Netflix. Yeah. You know, you just got to produce good content that comes from your heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I feel like you are probably better here than you would be down oh, in yeah. LA because you're absolutely. happy. Oh, you absolutely. have your family here. You're in a, a familiar area. People know your name. You know people's names. You have this personal connection with people. And that's what that's part of what makes the podcast so great, yeah. right? I mean, my heart is here in Santa Cruz County. My heart is on the Central Coast. So it's like you said, right? I can pick Anybody that is walking down the street and I say, hey, you want to do a podcast? <laughs> you know, and bring <laughs> yeah, them in yeah, yeah, and you yeah. can hear this incredible story. Yeah. You know, and, and I was so blown away by yours when we were talking. I was like, Kevin, you got to come on, dog. You know what I mean? And I feel that way with every single person that yeah. has come, come on the podcast. You know, there's even a few podcasts that I haven't put out, but even with not putting those out, I get to sit here and I have these very personal one-on-one conversations with people and you're opening yourself up and giving your story out. And there's no better way to connect with somebody than to sit and actively listen to what they're saying, how they're saying it, their body language. I mean, I just see joy in everybody's eyes when I'm having these conversations, right? You know, I I interviewed uh, Scotty Greathouse uh, a a few days ago. Uh, it's, It's the episode that drops before this one. And... It was such a powerful conversation. You know, it, it's like you're, you know, you pointed out everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Well, he's painting in one of the parking buildings downtown Santa Cruz. And, you know, this homeless woman comes up and they start talking and she went to UCSC. She graduated from UCSC. And then all these things transpired to lead her to where she was at. And Scotty was just like, whoa, holy shit. Yeah. You know, everybody has a story and it's the truth. You know, the story of humanity, the story of everyday life, of making it through. You know, I, I love the line in um, what's the Jim Carrey movie where he's God, he, God or Evan Almighty, God, okay. Al, what's his name? I, I know a check, but I, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you Evan, know. Yeah, Evan Almighty. But yeah, anyways, it, it, it's, that's the spinoff yeah. of it, I think. Okay. Um, but. But Morgan Freeman's telling him, you know, the miracle every day is is the mom pulling through with the groceries because she's the only she's the only parent in the household, or you know, the kid got through college even though they only had one parent. Those are the miracles of every day, you know. And I think people, you know, are with with social media, they look for all these crazy like water to wine. You know, it's that's a little intense. You know what I mean? Let's just make it through the day. That's yeah. a miracle. You know, and and to be able to get those stories from the everyday person is where where I strive. Yeah, and what's amazing because you know, as a, a photojournalist, I would go to the Benchlands, um, you know, the homeless encampment over there. There is, is a is that while. San Lorenzo Park. Yeah, San Lorenzo okay. Park. I would go there. You know, sometimes I was going there two to three times a week, and I would just go there just to talk to you know the unhoused and just to hear their stories. 
And some of them are just unbelievable. Like, the, I mean, it's just what they've gone through, but what they've done, you know, their previous lives were, you know, they just all have incredible stories. And it's always intriguing me because the general public, you know, looks at the homeless and on, the, on you know, downtown and it's kind of like, oh, God, you're making a city dirty and stuff. And it's like, if you just sit and talk to these people, even for like five minutes, and you will discover just a completely different light. Like, it, it, it's some, some of these people just have incredible, amazing stories. Um and you know some of them are real inspiring, but then they 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 you know they had unfortunate luck, you know, and and some of them are just tragic. But they all have these incredible stories because they've seen so much and they've been through so much. And it's like just taking the time to listen to them. Mm. It's like, and 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 they they're humans. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. And far too often, you know, all day long, people don't. Well, and not even that. Can, can, can you imagine, you know, people going around you and like trying to stay away from you? And you know, it 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 must be really hard. And and you know, to comp- be completely transparent, you know, owning that damn motel, mm-hmm. you know, and and having in in the area that we were in, you know, yeah. we were in the beach flats, you know, which is had its problems, you know, in Santa Cruz during the year, over the years. And um, I got jaded, mm-hmm. you know, because I had to deal with so much. And I felt like I was Captain America protecting, you know, the Avengers Tower. And it was my duty to protect it. Yeah, And it it, it just throws you into this different mode where mm-hmm. you, your compassion and empathy goes out the window because you're only focused on protecting, Yeah, you know, and... Really, you know, with you know, I know this is going to be graphic, but I mean, literally, people pulling down their pants and defecating on the wall, or literally hearing a car uh, window being broken so they can steal something out of the car. Yeah. And I've gotten in fist fights. I've used mace. I've done. I've called the police. I've done all, everything. Exhausted everything. Yeah. And now that I'm away from there, it's nice because I don't really have anything to protect except humanity itself. So I'm going back to my compassionate, empathetic roots and I can go grab some water or soda for some that's walking by or somebody that I see sitting on the corner. And, you know, I did that the other day and I, and I made it to a point to touch this man, Mm -hmm. to touch him. You know, hey man, how you doing? Hey, can I, can I get you a water and a soda? Oh, that'd be great, man. You know, and I came back and he had his, his, his knee was up and I said, all right, man. And I patted it. You know what I mean? It was just, I wanted him to know that like, I'm not scared of you. Yeah. I don't think that you're not human. I'm, I, I see you. And, and the reason for the touch was so he, he got that from me, Yeah, you know, that transfer of energy, you know? Yeah. So it's a really heavy thing in this town, man. Uh, moving forward. Yeah. I want to talk about this Emmy nomination oh. because that, I mean, that's a big thing. Yeah, it's cool. That That is a really big thing, you know? So can you tell us about it and, and how it transpired? And- yeah. So I was, um, remember I was talking about when, um, you know, Web Fingers was, was that's his uh, radio name. Uh, <laughs> Rob, Rob's his real name, but everybody knows this is Web. Um, so he, you know, he was doing this commercial and then I called him, I heard him on, you know, live one five or late one night, called him up and he, he was working on the show, bam, TV. 
Um, then I invented, I ended up taking it over, then changed the name to Music on the Edge. And we're doing it for about three years. Hired an amazing executive producer, Stu Heller, who, um, he had all the contacts with cable networks. I think he worked with K uh, Ron in uh, San Francisco. Oh wow, that's big. Yeah, and so he he knew everybody, and so he you know was able to get our um, a show on a, a couple stations, and um, it was we you know, we would tape it interview, interview bands, uh, everyone from like local bands to headlining bands. I mean, we did we did probably about over three hundred, four hundred bands. Um, everybody from like No Doubt, Oasis, Sonic what? Youth. Uh, the, uh, we did interview Metallica. I interviewed oh my God. Eminem, Dr. Dre. So we, we interviewed Dr. Dre, and that was right after he had just signed Eminem. And because I remember he was saying, oh, man, I got this new guy. He's so hot. His name's Eminem. He's going to be killing it. He's so hot. And uh, so I interviewed him. We did interview. I mean, we did everybody. Um you know, the coolest people we did was uh, by far was uh, Ziggy Marley. Oh my god! We, uh, we interviewed them at the Warfield, and uh, it was hilarious because when they do the sound check, there's like forty of them on stage. They bring the entire extended family because it's their whole family that travels with them. So there'd be grandmas, there'd be little kids. Well, the Marley family's not small. Yeah. <laughs> I know, no shit. <laughs> and so the entire family, there'd be like literally like 40 people on stage, all singing songs and dancing and, you know, little kids dancing on stage. And then um, it was after the sound check. Then we did the um, interview uh, in the green room backstage. It's like, oh, come on, brother. And then like they were just like, they, they were Oh, come with us. Come to you. And they're like treating us like family. It was just so cool. It was like, oh, this is so neat. Yeah. So it was um, fun getting to know these big bands and, and hang out with them on their buses and, you know, and tour buses and just um, getting to know them. And so we ended up getting uh, nominated for uh, Emmy Award um, for the for Northern California Emmys and uh, didn't win. Damn it! Some show <laughs> show on AIDS one. Jesus, the nerve of that thing! Uh, but got got the nomination, um, which was really cool. And uh, so they that was at the um, Palace of Fine Arts that they ended up having the uh, the ceremony for that. So that was uh, a big thrill. What an honor just to be no, recognized no. like that, right? Yeah, was, I mean, I mean, just to be recognized, right? Yeah. I mean, when you came in, we were talking about my. My uh, runner-up award out there, you know what I mean? And that's just Santa Cruz County, you know? So to be recognized, just to be recognized and heard, you know, that that to me is a win, right? It yeah. feels good. It feels good that you put in all this work and and you're being heard. You're being seen, you know what I mean? It's just, it, it, it makes the work worth it. Whether you win or not, it makes it worth it just to be seen. Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. Let, let me ask you something, man. Talking to those type of people... Does it change your perception of of how things work when when you're around great people like that? Because that's the pinnacle, right? I mean, especially in in my world, right? Dr. Dre is the pinnacle. He he yeah. he is he is so far removed now that you can't even see his house on the hill. It's too high. You know what I mean? So, is there any type of energy that you get that 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 lives with you when you're around those type of people? It, what's funny is that it 
makes me realize that they're just normal guys that are just having fun more than anything else. The only ones that were like total assholes was um, Chemical Brothers and uh, like who was it? Blur, um, Oasis. Those were the ones that were just total asses that were like, what the fuck? That was kind of grunge music though, right? Nah, Chemical Brothers, electronic, electronic, and uh, Blur and Oasis are alternative. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but everybody else, you can tell that they're just having fun and they're 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 sort of caught up in it. Like, I can't believe this is going on. That can't you know? Because even um, like we did Chris Isaac, he's just the most cool guy you would never know that he's this huge rock star because he's just such a cool fun charismatic dude yeah um so when you're interviewing the people you kind of kind of realize that these guys are they're that most of the time they're just enjoying the ride well i was listening to this jay-z interview right and he's Mm -hmm. talking about talking to one of his best friends and they came up the whole time together and they're saying you know can you fucking believe it can you fucking believe that we're here? We're billionaires and we, we did it, bro. Like it's happening. It's just fucking crazy. Yeah. And you know, us on the other side, us little people, we're yeah, like, totally. oh, but, but that's, but isn't that the ingredient? I mean, you find what you're passionate about and then you roll with it. And the whole time you're just having fun and you don't really realize yeah, exactly what you're creating. And I think for me, that was so that, that that was the most humbling part of the lookout article. Mm-hmm. You know, like wow, I'm 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 being seen like this guy's in here taking pictures of me right now. <laughs> this you know, and then reading the article, it was so like man, it humbling. Yeah. Humbling is 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 the only word that I can really think of that really nails down what I was feeling and and that I was being seen. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of the times you know, a lot of the times when we have problems or we have shit going on and we're talking to somebody about it, I would say 75% of the time, we're not looking for answers. Yeah. We're just looking for somebody to relate, you know, for somebody to say, hey, Kevin, I know what you're going through, man. I, I was there too. I'm sorry, dog. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck yeah. You know, and, and a lot of times we're, we're giving this unsolicited advice. You know what I mean? Well, what you should do, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're like, well, fuck. I, I just wanted you to say that you understood where I was coming from, yeah. you know? And I think, you know, I mean, me and my wife have that struggle a lot and I'm like, yeah, yeah I, I'm not really looking for any advice. I just wanted to tell you something, you know what I mean? But communication. Yeah. And, and I think that, I value communication so much as I, as I, you know, I get older and older and older that if I'm not communicating, there's something wrong. You know, there's a huge fucking problem Mm -hmm. if I'm not communicating with my significant other or my business partner or my friends or my mom or my family or my kids. You know what I mean? There's a huge problem. Communication is so important. And what's messed up is that with social media, it's getting, I mean, you're, it's kind of stripping away the personal communication mm. because now you're communicating by this persona that you're trying to say, oh, this is why I am. Well, and like, you write yeah, something, yeah, yeah. you and, delete it, you write it yeah. over again, you delete it until it's quote unquote perfect. Yep. 
You know what I mean? And that's just not how real life is. And then, like, you, then you go, you know, on a train or a bus or wherever, and you look all around. Everybody is just staring at their phone, yeah. and they're not communicating. They're not talking. Um, I'm one of those that, you know, once again, I drive my my wife nuts, but I'll just start talking to having, and I'll drive my daughter nuts too. She'll start laughing, go, Dad, what are you doing? And I'll just start talking to random people. And I know I love it. I do it. It's, 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 it's funny. We'll be we'll be at Starbucks, I know, I know. and I'll just start. Next thing you know, I know, I'll have this incredible conversation with this person, and my daughter will go, "Do you know that person?" Will go, "No, I just met yeah, him." I know. And next know. thing you know, me, I mean, this, this I guy are just time, laughing bro. and and uh, you're joking and bullshitting, and Tess is like, "Dad, you're embarrassing me." <laughs> yeah, what a gift! What a gift! Yeah. Because I I totally. I can relate to that, man. And and I love doing it. And and it feels so it feels so good to connect with a yeah. stranger like that because it feels like such a lost art, right? You know, you got you got a little time on me, but we both know when the time was when there was no Facebook, yeah. when there was no cell phones, you know what I mean? And well, you know, what a time to be alive, but what a time to have to remember to to be focused on our roots too. But also, I think that it, it's like what you know I had mentioned and you had said. Also, is that the realization that every single person has that story, and most people walk with blinders on and afraid to break that wall. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment that you break that wall and you just do a little introduction and then suddenly it's like this meta connection and you just start flowing of information and you relate to them and it's, you know, it, 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 that is the energy and the excitement that makes life fun and makes life real is meeting new people. When I travel, um, you know, actually I like the best trip I ever did in my life was, uh, when I, after I graduated college, I went to Europe for three weeks by myself and I would just have meet the most amazing people ever. And I loved it because I was by myself. So it forced me just to meet everywhere I went. I would just meet people and they're all from different, you know, countries and cultures and everything. And it's just so much fun where it's like, you're just absorbing all this info. But even here, when you're in Santa Cruz, it's the exact same thing because, Everyone that you meet and you see around that you don't know have different upbringings, have different cultures, have different things that have made their life real. Well, you can learn from them. And it's doing that interaction and just, and all it takes is going, hey, hey dude, that's a cool hat. <laughs> and all literally, you just saying so that's a cool simple. hat. And then, that, then the next, right next thing you know, you start bullshitting and that could be your, your best friend. I love it. I love it. Is there anything that... I, I mean, what, what's your secret to it? Is it just that you're open? Is it, I, I mean, I I just love talking to people. Yeah. You know, so I'm just like, like you said, hey, nice hat. You yeah. Know I mean? And just kind of, I like to say that kind of shit and then see what happens. Yeah. Like, how are they going to react to it? And not everybody's warm and fuzzy. You know what I mean? Some people are like, fuck you, fuck this hat. You know what I mean? They keep walking on. <laughs> but, but I would say, <laughs> I would say it's got to be 85, 90% of them are like, what? Oh, hey, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think 
my personal take on humans, I don't think people are inherently bad. I think no. people are inherently good. No, absolutely. And I think people genuinely want to connect. Every you know? I I honestly believe that every single human being just wants to be loved. That's yeah. it. Every that's that's for, you know, even the most evil person in the world, hmm. the most fucked up person in the world, all they want to do is just be loved. And they're doing that to try to make themselves be relevant. So that maybe somebody would love them or see them because that's all I see think them. every single person just wants to be seen and wants to be loved, wants to be appreciated. And um, once you really understand that, making the connection with a stranger is easy because yeah. you know that this person just wants to, you know, be seen. And if you, you know, see them and like, let's just say, you know, I see on the street, go, oh, tell me the story about those ta- tattoos. Those things are killer. And Bro. then all of a sudden, because that has something personal for yep. you, and it just, they'll start pouring out your story about what that means. right. It happens and all to of a sudden, every you time. Just, you know, the whole <laughs> wall just gets crushed down. And the next thing you know, you can be sitting, you know, you and I can be talking for two hours. And just because we're, you know. You just did that one sentence just just broke down the wall. So you must you must feel those same feelings I feel when you go and shoot people then that 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 connection, right? Mm-hmm. Even though how long what's what's the average photo shoot for an article for lookout that you go to? I mean, or how long are you with the person usually? Well usually about an hour. Um but I mean there there'll be sometimes that it'll be, you know, real quick because they'll 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 have something they have to do or I'm just capturing something but generally uh it all right it depends usually i will um my number one thing that i do when i go on any shoot is develop a rapport with them immediately that's number one it's exactly what you do with me yeah because everybody i would say 90 percent people feel self-conscious when the camera starts being in their face hmm. it's like what the fuck's going on here <laughs> Yeah, like, and, my, like Amari. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, what, why, huh? What? So I want to develop rapport with the person, connect with them, understand who they are, and, you know, get a, kind of the personality. And then as we're talking, then I'll, I'll bring up the camera and then I'll start shooting just so they, they start feeling comfortable. Um, and then I, even if it's just one shot I need, um, I just love shooting so much and I get obsessed with looking at light because that's all that photography is, it's light. And I get, I'm like, oh shit, look at this thing. Oh, look at that. And I get super excited and I start showing the, the person I'm shooting with, go, look at that. That's so cool. Yeah. And they get excited yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, we yeah, start playing exactly. around with it. And so literally it's just one photo that I need will turn into 40 of them. And even though the shoot might only need to be five minutes, we'll end up being shooting for half hour, 45 minutes because we're both having fun and we're getting into it because I'm they're seeing my excitement and then I'm showing them and they're it. like, oh, that's cool. And so it starts kind of So you've developed a technique around how you come into each situation yeah. and how you rock it. I love yeah. it. Because that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, you just yeah. told the exact story that we went through. There we right? go. So something interesting that you said earlier was that you like being in the thick of it. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and you took some phenomenal pictures during one of the most tragic times in Santa Cruz history, mm-hmm. the CCU fire. And you also won an award for one of your pictures, a yeah. national award for one of your pictures. Yeah, pull that up because we, we need to show this. Oh, this is it right here. So this is uh, so this is a book that we did. Uh, uh, oh, that's so this is a book that Shmuel Thaler, a good buddy of mine, who, photographer of Sentinel, uh, him and I did. Twenty twenty hindsight is about all the craziness of uh, that happened in twenty twenty because that's when you know COVID hit, Black Lives Matter, Get Sweller, the sheriff got you know shot and killed. Um, the elections was going on, and we had the CCU fire. But what's what's funny was that. I had the idea of this book because when the Black Lives Matter was going on, I was doing all these different protests, and it's like, oh, my God, this is literally like history in the making right now with all those Black Lives Matter protests. And I was getting so many amazing photos. So I called um, Shmuel up, and we were both shooting for the Sentinel at the time. And I said, uh, I said we got to do a photo book. And he said, absolutely, absolutely. So we, um, he called together a bunch of um, his friends and people that he knows and trusts, and there's about six of us on the on a Zoom call, and he said uh, we're going through all these different sections as there was going to be in the book, and this was like in June or June or July, and he said, oh yeah, and also fire season's coming up. So we want to make sure we cover that. And all of us on the phone were like, yeah, okay, well, you know, we'll shoot a little brush fire here or there. I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. But we all of us kind of just said, yeah, all right, whatever, whatever, Shmuel. And then a month later, you know, the biggest event that has happened in Santa Cruz history, and it's like, holy shit. Um, and so I was on the fire line for about four or five days, and um, it was intense. It was intense. It was <laughs> Tell us about Crazy. that. Tell us about that. Because, because I, I mean, are, there had to be some points where you were feeling fearing for your life. Yes. Um, the one of the most nerve wracking was, I think it was on a Tuesday. I drove up trying to get to Big Basin because I heard that Big Basin was on fire, and so. I was driving up, what was that, 152? What, what road is that on? Uh, Big, Big Basin Way, way up there. And I was driving, driving, driving. And, and keep in mind, you know, everything was shut down. There was no, nobody was up there. You know, all the streets were blocked off. I had my press pass. So I was able to get up there. But there was nobody in the streets except for, you know, the, the police and the fire, fire department, Cal Fire. But when I was going up Big Basin Way, there was literally nobody. I didn't see a single fire engine, didn't see a single, single cop, nobody. And I was driving around, driving way up there, went past Little Basin, and then all of a sudden, like, everything was black. Everything was burned. And I would stop, get out of my car, and I'd hear just the crickling and, you know, smoke coming up and just, like, just, you know, when when there's a fire, just, you know, burning, you hear the crackling sound mm-hmm. of just, you know, the embers. And I was like, shit, I'm like, this is, this is not good. Because if a tree fell mm-hmm. and blocked the road, like nobody, there, there, there's no cell reception up there. Um, like, and so I kept on going and 
I was getting paranoid because there were still parts of it that were still on fire. So I was driving pretty fast up there because I was kind of freaking out. I didn't want to be in a position where um, tree would fall on me or whatever. So I was going pretty fast. And there's a part where there was, you know, telephone poles in the middle of the road with the uh, wires. At one point, I started driving up a power line because it fell over and the power was the power line was across the road. And I started going up it, and I luckily last minute cranked my wheel over, and so went over it. But it was like holy shit! Um, and I went as far as I can go until about a quarter mile into Big Basin, and there's huge tree that blocked the way. But I was scared at that point because I was so far up there, and the, the smoke was still, you know, crackling all around me. Um, and I'm like, anything happens if a tree falls, he's like, I, I'm, I'm fucked. And so I was freaking myself out at that point because it was just so eerie mm-hmm. being way up there. And it's just, you know, it's like, so that, that was uh, scary. Um, where that photo was, that was uh, Empire Grade and there's a, uh, a back burn. And so Schmuel and I uh, jumped in his car together and we went up there and um, we're shooting and there were so many fire crews up there that we didn't feel unsafe, but we were, you know, charging it and just shooting so much. Um, but they, yeah, it was, it was just one of those things where you're just looking around and you can't believe the, the devastation all around you. You know, the whole thing about the CZU fire <clears throat> Is it was just fucking eerie yeah. the whole time. You know, I remember that night clearly, and it was so hot and humid that we couldn't sleep upstairs. So we slept downstairs, and just the sky was really eerie. And there was huge, uh, you know, we had these spouts of really hard rain that night, and then the lightning and... It so was, then, there it is that, right well, there. So that, that's that small shot, but when there was that one day... When the whole thing, everything was yep. orange. Yep. And I have I, pictures. I, we, we were standing outside yeah. and it was just so fucking weird. And it was just eerie. Yes. And I remember I was shooting um, a film for the Monterey Bay Sanctuary. I was doing a, this video for them at the time. And so I, w- I had to get these shots for this film because it was due in, in like a month. And so I was shooting uh, at Main Beach. And I looked at it later, I'm like, I can't use this. Because all the sky is like just orange. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, I remember that that one day when everything was just orange and it was like wow. Yeah, it felt like you were in Alaska and it was like all night. You know what I mean? Like the sun didn't come up or whatever. It was just really weird. One of the creepy things, I was over by uh Brookdale. And I was talking to somebody from Cal Fire, and we're looking up, and there you can see the glow of the fire. I think this is on a Wednesday night. The the glow of the fire right over this ridge, and you see it was at, it was in the evening, like seven eight o'clock at night, and you see this red glow right on the edge top of this ridge. And uh, Cal Fire is like, I think that that if that fire goes over the ridge, which it looks like it will. It's going to come down and it's going to wipe everything out. He's like, Bonnie Dune, Felton, all this is just going to get leveled. And once it does that, there's no stopping it because we don't have enough crew. You know, it might jump the freeway. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I th- this could be really, really bad if if this 
goes over this. Was he just like, was he talking? It was just you two talking? It's just me too. And was that like a moment of clarity that he was having? Or was he just like, holy fuck? He was like, shit, this could be really, really bad. Because they only had, what, like 800 uh, people, 800 firefighters to cover this entire fire that was just enormous. And um, they didn't have enough crew because, you know, well, there was something, was like 75 fires around the, I think it's like 85 fires or something all around California at that time. Yeah. Um, and it, you can tell talking to him, he's like, this is bad. This is really, really bad. And it was just like, <laughs> what, what went through your mind? I mean, did that scare you or were you just in the moment and just talking to yeah, you? I, I was, I was pretty freaked out. Um, you know, our backyard is in Nice Marks Park. So, you know, it was like, if it comes down mm, and it right, hits that and we're, you know, we're screwed, but it was sort of like, fuck, what, where are we in the middle of? I mean, it was just, it was a crazy point of, of time. Yeah. Well, what a job, man. Yeah. I, I mean, you see the the joys of the town. You see the the worst. You know, I, I, how do you how do you cope with these things mentally? Because you must see some pretty outrageous things. Yeah. Whether it positive or negative, and even just going down to the Betchlands, you know that 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 I had I. I had to go down there one time. I, I, I'm not going to talk about the story on a mm. podcast, but I had to go down there one time for, you know, not very fun reason. Um, and I, it was just eye opening. You know, it, it was crazy. I couldn't, it was hard to fathom that it was here in Santa Cruz almost. You know what I mean? Like, how the fuck is this here? You know, I grew up here. You know, I, 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 in, I remember in the late eighties, you know, when my memories, best you know that young there was five homeless people here man and we knew we knew their names and it's like they they were alcoholics they got ssi checks they get their check every month they go get a bunch of liquor they might get a room for the night clean up and then they disappear into the bush again and they just didn't want to be bothered you know and now we're at this point where every just everything's just eroded and just weird and backwards. So how do you process all this stuff when you go home? I mean, is there ever times where you go home and cry? Is there times where you're, you're so elated with joy that you're, you know, you have a great week or how, how do you process these things? When I'm, when I'm dealing with somebody in house, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough. There's one shot that I did of this, um, homeless mom and she had her two-year-old daughter with her and they were living in the car and i spent about hour hour and a half with her talking her interviewing her and it really hit home but as a journalist you're supposed to not be involved you're supposed to just observe what's going on not be part of the story but it, it's sometimes it's tough, man, because you you have this compassion and mm. empathy. It's like fuck, um, and that was a really tough one because she ended up calling me several months later. They took her kid away, mm. um, and 
she was obviously devastated. Well, that was probably her drive for doing everything that she yeah. was doing. Yep. Yep. And, and she had a shitty childhood where she'd been on her own since she was like 13 because her mom had abused her or no, her stepdad had abused her and her mom was an alcoholic. And so that she was like Oklahoma or someplace. And so she got the hell out of there and, um, was, you know, on her own and, um, ended up being here for about six, seven months. And, um, was just trying to survive and, you know, living in a car and, um, you know, having her kid, two-year-old kid, daughter, that was just everything to her, just, you know, taken away from her. And, and so I have these series of photos that I took of her and her daughter that are extremely touching. And I'll show you in a little bit. And it's like, it's, it, it's one of the things I just shared with my wife when I got home. And it's just, you, you kind of just have to understand that this is where this person's at right now. And it's, you know, it's, it's just part of life and it's brutal and it sucks. And it's, but it's just, you, you just observe these things and you kind of just, you know, luckily I don't have to deal with some of the stuff that, you know, firefighters and cops are dealing with where, you know, on every day they're seeing people that are dying or torturing themselves or, you know, I, I would talk to, uh, the, uh, the fire chief over at Zionti and he was telling me these tragic stories of kids dying that he's would literally have be holding them as you know, they're dying in his hands and he would have, you know, serious PTSD. Um, and it really just, you know, screwed up his life. And, um, you end up retiring, but then going back six years later, because he had, um, worked on this PTSD and there's this uh, amazing woman that, that helps with, uh, first responders deal with, uh, tragedy and, and trauma. And it just, you know, changed his life and made him, you know, heal. And so he's now an advocate for his fellow firefighters. So it's like, he can see the PTSD that the firefighters have and the ways that they're acting and is now helping them, um, is the advocate for them to go look, you know, because you know traditionally firefighters and cops and they're, they're, they're fucking, machos. They're, they're, they're trying to be warriors. Yeah, they're, they're, warriors, they're machos. Man. They don't want yeah. their emotions to be seen. Yeah, and so he's out there going, look, dude, you need you you need to get in touch with this because it's it'll it'll mess you up. Yeah. So luckily, you know, I don't deal with that side of it, but I'm just kind of an observer and observer and capture these moments of life that I can. Um. But also the looking through the lens provides kind of like a filter. So it's kind of like you're watching a movie instead of being in it. Mm. It kind of removes you in a way. Yeah. So you're hyper-focused on what's going on at the moment, but you're also seeing it as the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's fucking deep, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's insanely deep. <laughs> does does being the person capturing those moments, does it help you be more vulnerable as a human being? Does does it help you express your emotions easier? Um, you know, I I, I I try to start talking about these things a lot more, especially with mm -hmm. other men, 
because it's like you like you were talking about the firemen and the police officers you know it's like it's not okay to be vulnerable because they're out on those streets all the time and they're taking care of really heavy situations where vulnerability might get you killed or something you mm -hmm. know what i mean you know and that's me being overly dramatic but um you know i i always think about this vulnerability word um you know, from the things that I've been through on the streets, you know, and, and, and on the streets, it's vulnerability is not, it's not really accepted. Yeah. You know what I mean? You you can be shunned and looked at like a weak person if, if you're being vulnerable. And I think it's really important, especially for men to embrace vulnerability as a superpower rather than something that hurts you. What's interesting is that as a photojournalist, in a way, it's kind of the opposite because I don't want to be part of the story. So I don't put myself into the situations going on. Instead, I'm an observer that's capturing the situation. But it, but naturally, it's the other way around, right? Because we we insert ourselves in the situation so we can be empathetic yeah. and compassionate, right? Yeah. So it must be kind of hard for you. To, I mean, is it is it hard for you to put up that wall and and be in the moment and say, I can't, you know, like you're in your words, I can't put, I can't be the story, I can't be in the story. Is it, it? And again, it seems like more human nature that you would insert yourself yes. in that somehow. There, there it, it gets difficult. It gets difficult not to have myself into the situation, but I, you know, I just need to, you know, remember I'm, I'm a journalist here and I need to remove myself from what's going on, but capture the, the event. Hmm. Um, because as a photojournalist, if you ever go to any event um, that, that I'm at, I am never stationary. I'm running around constantly. I'm, I, I'm, I'm running, I'll go, you know, way far away to see, you know, see what the angles going on here. I'll go up above a building and look down. I'll be running right into, in the midst of it. So I'm, all I'm doing is constantly moving and trying to see what's going on at all different angles. So I'm never stationary where I, where I would get sucked up into it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So instead I'm literally like a fly buzzing around everywhere and that helps me. Yeah. It helps you not, not get caught in that. It, yeah. Sand. It helps me not get caught up in it because early on in my uh, career, I used to get caught up in it. I used to be there and, you know, with if there's somebody speaking or whatever, and I would just be obsessed with where I am and what's going on at the moment. And I would, you know, have a hundred shots of justice, one angle because this person's talking and, you know, it's like, holy shit. And I'd, I'd find myself getting caught up in what's going on. But then, you know, I learned that I, I need to remove myself and instead of cover the entire situation, and that might be reactions of people watching what's going on going way back and seeing the the situations going on where it is with the context of where we are in the city or, or in the town, you know, it's like, and then, so it, it's kind of looking from all angles of what's going on. Gosh, 
I kind of have like butterflies in my stomach right now. <laughs> well, you know, th there's a part of me and even like sitting down with Wallace, right? And Lily too. There's a piece of me that kind of feels like I found my people. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you guys, like everything you're saying, I relate to. Yeah. And, and it's weird because I don't really have any friends in like the journalism media thing. You know what I mean? A couple people here and there that yeah. are doing things like maybe in music or something, but it, it doesn't really correlate to this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what, what you're saying and the way you're explaining it is exactly like what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And it's so humbling because, you know, sitting with Wallace the other day, something that he said to me and it kind of, it kind of knocked the wind out of me, but it was very like, I was just like so thankful that he said it to me. He was like, look, man, I've been doing this for 30 years. And this was after everything was done, right? He says, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. And I kind of felt like, I know I haven't, but I've kind of felt like I've tapped out everything in Santa Cruz and you're ushering in this whole new faction of Santa Cruz that's going on. And I'm discovering all these new things and new people. And wow, like, I mean, you can't be humbled any more than that no, because no. he is who I like. I want to be Wallace in 30 years, right? You know, and I want to have that title and I want to be remembered for that. I want to be remembered for, you know, a great pod, you know, whatever that great podcast is to whoever, you know. I remember this one time on Paid the Cost and the TiVo interviewed this, blah, 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 and it meant so much to me and I really related to it. And I feel like, you know, finding this friendship with Lookout Santa Cruz mm -hmm. and, and the journalists from it, it's just so inspiring and it feels so good that I'm tapping into something that I would have never tapped into before if it wasn't for this. This podcast has been life-changing. No, oh, I can imagine. It's life-changing. I mean, even the business that I'm in now, I would have never been part of it if I didn't do this podcast because I would have never called Jose Moya to interview him for the Get Faded Barbershop and, and started this friendship and all the friendships that I've made from here and all the lessons I've learned and all the wonderful stories that I've gotten to listen to and the one-on-one -on -one aspect. It's just, it's such a humbling experience, man. Humbling. It's just humble. You know, it's humbled me to my core. And um, I'm so thankful for it, man. I'm so thankful I got to hear your words today and, and I, I got to hear your story. Thank yeah, you. It means a lot to be here. And uh, you have got a true gift. And, you know, what you do here is, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Like, you know, I was telling you, uh, you know, before we started, your show, it's so good. <laughs> and it, it's such a rare, like, yeah, I, I listen to so many podcasts, but they don't have the, the personal touch and the charisma and the energy and the um, passion that, that you have, where it's like, you're able to bring out such amazing info. And um, it's really, really good. <laughs> thank you so, <laughs> so much. I'm, I'm really flattered to be here. I, really, I want to thank you for, for allowing me on here. Absolutely, Kevin. Um, before we go, um, I need you to pick up this book. I want you to hold it in front of this camera, and I want you to tell my listeners where they can get it from and um, where they can reach you at Yep, and where they can see your photography at. Cool. Um, 2020 Hindsight, you can get it at Bookshop Santa Cruz. Um, yeah. They got them there. Shout out Bookshop Santa Cruz, Bookshop downtown Santa, Santa Cruz, Cruz, Pacific Avenue. 
Um, and people can find me. Instagram is painchadkevin, P-A-I-N-C-H-A-U-D, my last name, Kevin. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. And my website is kevinpainchad.com. And, uh, yeah, so right now I'm, you know, do all sorts of photography. Um, people hire me for anything and everything from food photographies to I just did a really fun engagement photo. Then I do a lot of portrait stuff. I do you do events. I do. No way. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't because I was always um, – didn't want to fuck it up because it's kind of the most stressful <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. But on a rare occasion, I will. Very, very rare occasion. But I, but as long as the people know that I'm not your traditional wedding photographer, I'm a mm. photojournalist. So it's like as long as they're good with the fact that I'm going to view it the way that I view it and that I'm not going to do these canned <laughs> yeah, photos. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that's just I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that gets I, I, more of the fun. I would think that it, the way you do it is actually capturing the actual moments that are happening. Yeah. It would seem like, like you'd kind of want somebody like yeah, you. Yeah, I don't. I don't like doing the group. Yeah, yeah photos yeah. and the. Hey, I'm not. That's not me. It's well, like I want to capture the joy and the fun and the energy. But so that's why I, you know, very, very, very rarely will do weddings. But I will on special occasions. Um, but. Um, yeah, I just I just love shooting. I I've been shooting, you know, since before 89. the accident. So what were you 14, yeah. 13 when you started shooting? 14? I think I was a freshman, so yeah. It was 14, I think. Yeah. About that. <sighs> Amazing. Congratulations. You know, Thanks, it's buddy. it's like I said in the article, right? Su- uh success is subjective. You know, and uh, I would see you as all success, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, you're doing what you love to do. Love it. And and there there can't be any higher success than that, man. You know what I mean? True that. That's it. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. Thanks, buddy. Really appreciate you, brother. Uh, I'm your host, Nativo Gonzalez, reminding you to be cool and spread love. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.